0: Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. And in God's eyes, uh, all you ladies in the room are older than somebody, right? So you're all that motherly figure in someone's life. You're that that person that just exemplifies but some of you pay the price of of mothering right and you're like oh i earned this batch right i've got this one and uh we just want to say happy mother's day to all you ladies and god shows grace through you and love through you and that matters and uh I want to take a moment just to pray a prayer of blessing over all of you in the room because Mother's Day for a lot of people has a lot of different emotions attached to it. And uh, so I just want to pause here before we jump in and and pray for you. So God, I thank you for the moms. I thank you for uh, the moms in the room that that are tired. I pray that you would give them rest. I pray for those that are exhausted, that you'd raise them up with great strength in your power that is at work within us. For those that are weary and don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, whatever their circumstance is, I pray that, God, you would give them strength. The single mothers in the room that feel like it's candles burning at both ends, I pray that you would give them your grace and strength and and help them see the future and the hope that's there. I pray for those that are just done. They're just they're just done. That God you would help them see that there is a happy ending. God, I pray for those that are are ready and longing to be a mother. I pray that you would give them the desire of their heart. I pray that God you would touch those that are are longing for their mother's love that they never experienced, that they don't have a memory of encountering, that God you would grace over that reality in their life and you would be the love that they've always wanted. And I pray, God, today for those who have lost their mothers, specifically within this last year, God, I pray your grace and comfort on them today, that their loss would be comforted by your Holy Spirit in them, in their mourning. Is our morning their loss is our loss and I just pray that you would overwhelm them, touch them today. We love you, Jesus. You meet our needs. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're jumping back into it's a part two. It's our fourth talk in a meal with Jesus. It's part two of hope in a meal because so we just like to mess around with the length of our series and uh, we quickly got into. The passage in Luke 9 of the feeding of the 5,000 and realized, oh dear, this is a two-week talk, not a one. We didn't want to like draw it out so long last week that you felt you had been in a seminary class and uh, wanted to make it more portable so you could take it and learn something and go from there. So today we are... uh, Uh, looking just specifically at the meal of the feeding of the 5,000. But last week, we looked at the surrounding circumstances. People were asking, man, who is this Jesus? And Jesus was asking, who are they saying I am? And it was this moment where the clarity came, where some were saying, you're one of the old prophets. Maybe John the Baptist just rose from the dead. But really, the disciples discovered There's so much here of what Jesus is doing and what is promised and and is foreshadowed in the Old Testament and what is foreshadowing to the great banquet of our future when we're welcomed into heaven. They're like, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And so it was was this beautiful revelation surrounding the feeding of the 5,000. But there's this meal in the middle that has so much meaning as well. Jesus is showing us a bunch of things in the context of the actual food, the miracle moment. So let's read it again. Luke 9, 10 through 17 says, When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going. They followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. Isn't that what we get to do? Here's the kingdom of God. This is the beauty of the gospel. He healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food. Lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for the whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there, which means there was a ton of women and children as well. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, looked up towards heaven, blessed them, then Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. We read a portion of the quote last week from the book, A Meal with Jesus, that Tim Chester wrote. And, and uh, here's that quote again, for those of you that missed last week or had not had the chance to listen to it on The app. It says, when your church family gathers together as a group of needy people and shares food with Jesus at the center and with Jesus as the provider, you glimpse God's coming world right here, right now. The Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world, and no more so than when we eat together. Our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals are a proclamation and demonstration of God's good news. Man, how many who like food in here are excited about a message that promotes eating? Come on, somebody. I'm like, yes, my kind of message. Preaching to the choir. Okay, anyway. Um, You know, if you read this segment of Scripture in the other Gospels, you'll find out that Ultimately, the fish and the loaves came from a boy's meal. He presented it to the disciples so that they could then present it to Jesus. And it was his sack lunch, if you would, right? And he's just like, well, I have this. And so they brought it to Jesus. This is all we have means this is all that they had here. There's like not food to share. And Jesus turned his full surrender into the moment of provision for all. And it's very beautiful. Which brings us to, ultimately, our big idea for today, which is God is our provider. That's what's being taught here. God is our provider. Now, my mom was an amazing provider. My mom uh, was amazing at keeping us fed, obviously. I didn't do too bad at that, you know. I've continued to be fed, even though I'm not living with mom anymore. And uh, But I just look at, you know, she set the bar. Now, it was a little different. I grew up on a farm uh, in Rochester, Washington, if anybody knows where that's at. Actually, a little portion of Rochester in between Olympia and Rochester called Gate, where there's about 10 of us that live there. And we had a 365-acre farm, and we grew stuff, and we ate literally off the land because we were Poe. Now, that... We, I would say poor, but we were so poor, you couldn't finish the word. Po. We were po. And uh, I kid you not, as kids, we went to empty train cars parked on a railroad track to get the grain we used for bread. The, you know, they they would be on the walls, and you'd beat it out. And the dusty part, we would feed the pigs, which we were going to eat during the winter. And, you know, it was just like literally. It was... Crazy. I feel like I'm making it up when I tell the story, but I'm really not. It's really true. Um, Craziest thing, though, is we wouldn't, there were some impacts to being Poe. Like lunch at school. Uh, Not only were we Poe, but we didn't have necessarily the, the humility to apply for lunch help, or maybe it didn't exist in the day. I have no idea why I didn't get free lunches at school. Instead, I got sack lunches from home. And in the sack lunches was healthy food. How's was that kid at lunch where other people have ranch dressing and they're dipping stuff that looks awesome. And I'm coming with, I mean, you could count on some things like a bag with a healthy portion of unflavored almonds. You know, just plain and uh, in a little baggie. And, uh, or, you know, you always, classic, uh, would be maybe a vitamin C chewable. Everybody's got that in their lunch, right? Got to keep healthy. little strapping lad, I got to keep my health up, vitamin C. Uh, Everybody, yeah, sure. Do they hand those out at the lunch, in the lunch? No, they don't. So, you know, I'm that kid. I'm just like, you know, hiding behind the sack eating. Cut carrots, some of you might not know what that is. Uh, students, I don't know if you've ever had a, an actual cut carrot. Now you've got those little baby like pilled, there's no skin on them carrots that are really moist and, and amazing. But no, we grew our carrots. They were like this long by the time we remembered to pull them out of the ground. We chopped them up, left the skin on them because that's the healthy part. That's what I had in my lunch is cut carrots or Celery. Man, I didn't have to floss for years because I had celery, right? It's just like chew, floss. Bite down, floss. That's celery for you. And I didn't have that fake little cheese junk on it that some of you would have on your celery. You know, it's just there's some things. Oh, and then you couldn't forget the dried fruit from our summer labors. My parents still every once in a while will give us bags of dried fruit. They still just dry like a ton of fruit every summer. And I do like it, like dried apricots. People around me don't like it a couple hours later. But I love eating it, and uh, it's delicious, powder keg. And I love uh, the classic, and which is weird. Preston, our youngest, um, likes these now, but nothing could help out your breath during lunch like a good, huge dill pickle, right? Walk into class after lunch. Does anybody smell vinegar? No, not me. That was a real ladies' man with that pickle, right? And so that's just kind of like, that was a lunch. That was a huff lunch. And I can't imagine nowadays Jesus being handed some of the lunches that kids would be having at school. Oh, by the way, my mom made my lunch all the way through high school. Don't tell my twins sitting in the front row, because they've been making their lunch since, like, elementary school, haven't you? Yeah, rough. Man, your parents, <laughs> pulled the lid over your eyes. Okay, so, anyway, we're, uh, you know, the reality is my mom did make lunch. She loved us. She provided for us, right? And, and uh, I was the envy of no one. But it was awesome that she did give us, like, real healthy food. If Jesus was handed a kid's sack lunch today... I don't know that he would have broke, like peeled open the Twinkie that would last until he returns, right? And broke it open and kept handing it to the disciples saying, you know, hand this to the next group of 50. Make sure they eat the cream filling first. It's delicious. You know, I don't think he would have broke open the Twinkie. He may have taken great pleasure in handing out Jack Lee beef jerky. That would have been a win, right? He may have taken incredible pleasure in passing around something that I don't think they had back then, Nutella. You know, they could have dipped the bread in it, right? That would have been delicious in the day. They would have not had any leftovers because they would have ate to the full. But that's not what students have in their lunches. They have things like Lunchables. I wonder what Jesus would have done if the disciples would have brought him a Lunchable, like a, or those bread, stick, and cheese things, right? Huh? Or uh, maybe they might have uh, brought him, like, I don't even know why they invented this, but Rice Krispie Treats in, like, a little plastic bag thing? Like, how hard is it to make Rice Krispie Treats and put them in a Ziploc? We have to go to Costco and buy a box of Rice Krispie Treats. Unbelievable, they take this to lunch. Uh, Pudding cups? What a waste. It's like, come on, make some pudding. Put it in Tupperware. It's come, You know, did we forget how to do these things? I don't know. And my daughters are telling me the big thing at school. Guys, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, the hot spicy Cheetos, you know, would he have broke those Cheetos and passed them around? Groups of 50 would have been saying, can you produce some water, Jesus, right now? The things we eat, Cheez-Its. I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's not natural. Jesus was wanting to provide some great food for these people. And the child produced natural fish, bread. It was as raw of bread as you can get. They probably say the, the child was from not the upper class, so the bread was probably as plain of bread as you get. It wasn't a fancy French bread roll or anything. And he multiplied that and handed it out. I got to eat healthy. These guys in groups of 50 got to eat healthy. God's the provider of food. And what do we express when we say thanks, when we say grace for our food? Our daily dependence on God is what we're expressing. We're saying, thank you, God, for the sustenance. As humans, you've fed us, right? Or our dependence on others. We're grateful for those that have prepared or grown the food or processed the food or bought the food? I mean, do we really say thanks with these things in mind? Or we just take for granted, oh, look, somebody wrapped up this little Rice Krispie treat for me. Somebody got the rice. Delish, you know, in a marshmallow. And we eat it. But are we really saying thank you? Are we eating good food? Therefore, therefore transforming food from just fuel to like relishing the greatness we have for this food stuff that we get to eat. Our gratitude to God, thereby reorienting ourselves to God, saying, man, you're providing for me. I get to eat right now. And it's just interesting, isn't it? Our gratitude for community when we come together for a meal, and we're just like, this is right. There's just something healthy about coming to the fellowship of a meal. And Jesus challenged them not to just eat his families in this very story. He said, sit them in groups of 50. He's like, let's let's just start this development of community right now. Put them in groups of 50 so they can enjoy a meal as community. That's the value Jesus was passing along. It's pretty beautiful. And here are some things we just grabbed that we thought we could learn from God's provision today for us. Thought one, Jesus provides for us in mission or on mission, depending on how you'd say that. Jesus provides for us. And and Jesus asks the disciples to do an impossible task here. Feed them. He knew they couldn't feed them. They didn't have the resource to feed them. He was setting them up. They're not resourced. But yet Jesus challenges them so they see they can't. And only he can. He wants to reveal himself still as provider. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see many moments where God provides for his people. And now Jesus is here going, here's going to be another moment. I'm setting you up. The feeding of the 5,000 highlights the disciples' responsibility and inability to provide. Jesus asks us what resources we have. What resources do you have? And then he asks us to have faith. The disciples needed to have faith, even enough faith for a theology of leftovers which is introduced to them. Not only could they distribute all this food over and over and over, but they had leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers. The disciples thought their five loaves of bread was finite and couldn't accomplish the task at hand. But with Jesus, it was infinite. And when we share what we have with Jesus and with others, it's infinite. When we're sharers, God multiplies. That's what happens. We can invite others to the table the, and bless the resource, putting our trust in God. We can give more grace because grace doesn't run out. Whatever that grace is for, not just a meal. It reminds me of Luke 6:38, which says, Give and you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over, poured into your lap the amount of you give will determine the amount you get back, right? It's pretty beautiful. When it it comes down to it, the disciples can't provide for the people, but Jesus could, and they were able to follow Jesus' lead here and do exactly what he said and watch his power at work. They have the power of Jesus, and that's enough power for this moment. We must be careful to understand that we cannot solve people's problems and like that we can't solve all of hunger at once, but we can trust in Jesus and put into action the five loaves and fish and watch him begin to go at work when we start to believe and have faith in him. So Jesus is the hero of the story. And again, in the The book of Meal with Jesus, it says when it comes right down to it, the disciples can't provide for the people. They share the ministry of Jesus, but it's his ministry. It's easy for us to play at being the Messiah, but uh, we want to help. And it's right that we do show love as the context demands, but we need to be careful not to think we can solve people's problems for them. We need to point them to Jesus and let Jesus be the hero he is. The disciples were powerless to try to serve the people, but Jesus had all the power they needed to feed them a meal with leftovers. They were willing servants on mission with Jesus, and he supplied their need. Thought number two Jesus provides for us through the cross. Jesus took the five loaves, right? In the story, he took the five loaves. And two fish looked up towards heaven, blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So he was taking the bread, he was thanking, he was breaking, he was giving. The cross is the beginning of our forgiveness and new life with Jesus. And without it, we have no relationship with God. And when Jesus led the disciples in the Lord's Supper, he did the same exact thing he did here. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 says, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Taking, thanking, breaking, giving. This is Jesus. He's again foreshadowing. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving a meal to 5,000. Really, probably 20,000 right now. But... In a moment, my provision is going to be through the cross because my body is going to be broken. It's going to be taken. I'm going to thank God for the salvation of all man. That's what we get to do around a meal now. When we're at a meal, we get to go, thank you, God, for providing for us. And it's not just the food. It's our salvation. It's way more than just a quick prayer before a meal or a quick bow of the head. I love that Luke makes the connection to that moment where Jesus broke bread with his disciples. The great banquet, as we looked at last week, is being foreshadowed as well in this moment. He's the Christ who must die, and if we follow him, we conquer death and hell as well through faith in him. So it means allowing Jesus to take our meals and turn them into moments of provision, of mission, of thanks, moments of breaking bread and sharing resource with one another. Um, This is so much more than a meal when Jesus gets involved in it. It's so much more than the price we pay. It's the cross represented when we take a meal, when we break bread with each other. A simple meal becomes a moment of gratitude and ministry to family and friends. I don't know, as I'm reading through this book, A Meal with Jesus, and as we're studying for this series, I'm just going, I have so much more appreciation for the moments we get to have around a table. And I remember sitting down at Coco's with my parents. I don't know if you've ever been to a Coco's restaurant, but I was at Coco's in Shoreline Edmonds area, and, yeah, and sitting down with my parents after I chose to follow Jesus, saying, Man, I messed up, and I just put everything on the table. Which was probably incredibly terrifying for my parents, you know. And said, I did this, 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 and this. And I've been holding this, 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 and this against you because, like, we never went to church as a kid. And I don't understand why. And I remember them crying and looking across the table and saying, we didn't have enough money for gas to get to church. And I was like, that's why we went on hikes every Sunday. Or we had a, or oh, I don't feel well, so we can't go to church, you know. And it was just seemed like it was an excuse, like you had to come up with an excuse not to go versus go. And so we just grew up, like, avoiding Jesus. So it's really interesting when you, you look at the reality of what I was expressing to them, and they were like, man, we were just too poor. No, they said poor. They finished the word. But anyway, they were like, we just couldn't afford it. But we grew up on a 365-acre farm, and we had cattle and and everything. We really did have, like, all kinds of stuff. And so we, it's not like we were in want food-wise. We had great meals, and we did sit down. We had the blessing of sitting down as a family every day and having a meal together. In fact, there were years where they said we would maybe once go out to eat. Because we just couldn't afford to do that. We ate what the land and animals provided us. That's how we grew up. By the way, we went out to some really good quality food when we went out once a year. In Rochester at the time, there was a Burger Master. Come on, somebody. Those fries and that tartar sauce, there's just something about Burger Master. Number one, with a shake, maybe a nice blackberry shake. Man, I just... Burger Master has a special place in my heart still. So when I'm in Kirkland, I grow larger. That's just what happens. Um, but I look at this and go, I was explaining to them my life and just my perspective. And, and yet now I read a book like this and I go, man, we had the provision and blessing of God. Even though we were incredibly poor, we had the chance to eat great, healthy, wholesome food he provided us. We didn't go without meals. Look at me, right? We did not go without meals. And now we we have this ability to be thankful and now a challenge, if you will, that I've carried into our home, we have dinner together. Even in this fast-paced world where we're running in and out and going from this game to that game and we're just, ah, you know? We still find a way to have a meal together and not just throw something in as we're running out. We had fresh food. Like really fresh. Like want chicken for dinner? Okay. Come here, chicken. Right? Hot water. Pluck, pluck, cook. That's kind of what we did. Grew up on a farm, guys. Final thought. Jesus provides for us daily. Above all, food expresses our dependence on God. God's the only one that is self-sufficient. We have a responsibility to take care of the world around us so He can continue to provide us food, right? Creation is a gift from Him that is is providing us food. You can read in the creation story, I mean, we have this reliance on God, and and, and, uh, the reality is in Genesis 2, it talks of God giving us This garden that he placed Adam in with the finest foods right there. He had the ultimate menu to prepare from. It goes all the way back to there. Jesus models for us how to give thanks in this moment again as he multiplies the food. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, God will not tolerate the unfestive, joyless manner in which we eat our bread with sighs of groaning, with pompous, self-important busyness, or even with shame. Through the daily meal, God is calling us to rejoice, to celebrate in the midst of our working day. Wow. What a perspective on food. It's, it's food, but it's like a gift. What if we could rework our mindset towards our meals together? God never intended our meals to be fast. I think there's a special place in hell for fast food, personally. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. It's just crazy. It's not good. There's stuff that's just unnatural we put in our body. We have an opportunity to eat better and natural all around us. We have the opportunity to be grateful. And we allow our meals not to escape us, to be this moment where God reveals himself. There's going to be something beautiful that will happen. So our action thought is to give thanks. But we really have two challenges within our action thought that we want to leave, have you leave with. One Eat a meal together with your family or family, community, whatever. But take that, make sure you give thanks for it. Pray for it. Pray for that meal. Pray and give thanks before each meal this week. Not just when there's other people there, but when you're by yourself. God, thank you for this breakfast. Try to give yourself a little margin so you're not in a hurry. So you don't miss the moment of thanks to God and just scarf it while you're running out the door, right? How many of us do that? It's like, oh, time to go. And it's like, oh, wait, this is more than fuel to God. This is his revealing his provision to us. Take this one step further And you could get all crazy with it and invite somebody to enjoy the meal with you around your table. I mean, what changes when all of a sudden you start sharing your heart for food with other people? I don't know, could be crazy. Now here's a big ask, here's a big challenge. So we give you a whole month on this one. How about, and this seems backwards when we're given a challenge about food, but how about you take time to fast and pray this month? What is fasting? Well, basically the simplest form of explanation of fasting is to go without food for spiritual benefit. Like fasting would be a meal, some models in scripture would be three days, 21 days, 40 days, which is crazy. And, you know, so it's like, but there's all kinds of fasting. And so we put a bunch of links on openlife.church slash next steps or the end of your digital handout. You could just click the link to give you some U-version Bible reading on fasting or a link to Jensen Franklin's website, which he has a bunch of fasting resources there. And just to give you insight of, man, what might God want to do by having you go without foods for a meal so that you truly understand and appreciate what a meal is from God. Sometimes we only understand what we have when we don't have it. So a couple really big challenges there in order for us to truly give thanks to God for his provision. I want to read a passage in closing today. Then the worship team's gonna sing, I'll pray. Jaden will come and close us in a moment. But I feel that this is fitting as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Matthew 6, 9. Through 13, he said, Pray like this Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Final quote from the book, A Meal with Jesus. He said this, we need to pray for our daily bread, not because we're worried about where our next meal might come from, but because we're not. God, you've put us in a place on this planet where we're truly blessed the poorest of us, still have food. That is not the case around this globe. And I pray that, Lord, we would not take for granted the meal that we have, the lunch that we may celebrate with a mom today or the dinner that we may celebrate our mothers today. May we not take it for granted, your provision. May we give thanks. May we live a thankful life, a life full of gratitude and honor to you for being our provider. May we not see food as just an unnecessary rushed occurrence in our world, but may we take the time to thank you for this expression of the kingdom of God, which we get to partake in daily. And God, may you challenge our hearts to open them to others that need to comprehend the same perspective of the meal. You started us in a garden, this whole thing back in Genesis, and yet you're still providing for us and it's an expression of your love and we thank you for it. God, may we all embrace your love today. May we exit here understanding that much more your love for us. You're so good to us, God. And we thank you that you could reveal that to us today in scripture in Jesus name